I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. That's nothing, mate. I once had a kilogram of potato smarties. Your nipples, didn't it? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host Aaron and each week I talk movies and films with my best buddy James. Good day sir. If this is your first time, welcome. Thank you for downloading this episode. If you're a returning customer, we love you, we appreciate you and if you've accidentally pressed play on this podcast, we're sorry. Yeah, but you can't win them all. But stick around, you know, because <laughs> it's fun movie chat with Aaron and James. Sorry, and Marcy. Each week we take on a different movie topic or theme on the quest to find the greatest of all time. So we've done all sorts of things from director specials, and sometimes we look at a specific actor or a genre, or if it's uh, seasonal like Christmas or Halloween, we'll take on those movies as well. That we'll leave no stone unturned on the quest to find the greatest. Maybe we'll do the best. We'll rom com Dunham, sci fi Dunham, Clint Eastwood Dunham. Sci-fi did last week. Yeah, we did with it. Absolutely cracking. Took on, finally, in my opinion, finally, took on the great beyond, Captain James T. Cook and the brave crew of the U.S. Enterprise. USS Enterprise, there you go. US Enterprise? Yeah, sure. Starship Enterprise, there you go. Enterprise, (laughs) that's it. The original saga. (laughs) Yes, it was great fun to do. Um, It was was a great fun to rewatch. I'm not going to lie to you, I'm a bit of a Trekkie, so I was always watching him, so could have done that episode with my eyes closed. It was nice to splurge out information out of my body like he was going out of fashion. I think you do most podcasts with your eyes closed. Yeah, but that's because I'm opposite you. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. That's right. Um, so we concluded that with, um, we got to four, didn't we? We did. Uh, we got to the voyage, the voyage home, and then that's when you had stopped, and then I was trying to convince you to watch on. Did you watch on? I have watched on, You've James. watched on. I watched five and six this you week. You watched them both? I, I have, yeah, do yeah. You, I thought after five you'd give in. No, <laughs> I had to watch five for the floating Godhead scene <laughs> in does. the desert. What? I've got a question for you. Mm. What did God want with the Starship? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But I, do you know what? I, thought I enjoyed it. I enjoyed all of the Star Trek movies actually rewatching them. Because as I said last week, I couldn't remember anything about them. Is, is, do you know I remember the fifth one. The fifth one, the, the biggest build-up. The problem with the Star Trek franchises, every odd movie is known as the bad one. But I'm, I'm admit, man, I remember the bad ones just as much as I remember the good ones. They stick with you. I mean, the great barrier that no ship has ever, you know, gone beyond. Turns out, you drive straight through. <laughs> the, the, when, it, when, when the fifth one opens with directed by William Shatner, that is it. That red alert should go off. <laughs> Rubbing your hands in glee, like this will be bollocks. <laughs> yeah, it's. But you know, I, I enjoyed them. I, I'm not going to rush into generations and yeah. the Patrick Stewart stuff. Um, but I, I certainly enjoyed the ones that I watched, and then uh, moved on to the movies that we're going to discuss this week, which is a little bit more my wheelhouse. A particular one of the movies we're going to discuss this week is in my top ten movies of all time. Oh, so so big. big, 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 yeah, yeah. And this is a this is a franchise and a character I've wanted to sink my teeth into for the longest time, and that is of oh. course the Hannibal Lecter series. Yeah, uh, you know, inspired by the Thomas Harris books. Um, so we're going to look at, and I'm going to say it up front, the Anthony Hopkins ones. Yeah, because we're not going to look at Manhunter, and I'm not really going to talk about Hannibal Rising. No, I don't think that's wise. I think that's, you know what, when you think of Hannibal Lecter, who do you think of? You think of Anthony Hopkins. You think of uh, all of them. Right? Yeah, I, I, I think ultimately I'm gravitated towards Silence of the Lambs, but every now and again, like this week, thoroughly really enjoy going back to Red Dragon. Really like to go back to Hannibal. Just revisiting them two movies. 
Uh, they're dark, they're twisted, they're macabre. There's so much to them. But they're also in places, uh, dare I say, a little bit cheeky. Oh, Hannibal Lecter's got something about him, a bit of sass. I quite like him as my villain. I'm going to yeah. talk about him in quite a bit of detail today uh, as part of this podcast. So if that's what you've tuned in for, maybe not the best podcast to eat to. <laughs> Unless, <laughs> unless, unless, unless you are a cannibal, in which case, tuck in, tuck in, um, because Give yourself a nice key, Auntie. Because <laughs> James, it's not illegal to eat someone. Remember that. <laughs> this weird, isn't it? It is weird. It's, it's not like, we live in. Technically, you're not breaking the law if you're a cannibal. I mean, if you've murdered someone, yes. And if you, you know, uh, well, we live in a society where if you don't use the proper crossing, you could technically get a fine. But if you just munch down on well, a bicep, you need a license to fish. You know what I mean? Like, but but you can eat someone. That's not a problem. Um, yeah, I, I as always deep dove into some cannibal facts that I can. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I've done this before. <laughs> In a podcast. Probably I brought, for like the Christmas episode. I, I was like, I think it was the Joker episode. I have no idea why we talked about cannibals in that That would make more sense because we didn't do that for while he was sleeping. So Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll drop a few cannibal quote, uh, facts in there as well because why not? Because we're going to do this. Before that, James, how's your week been? Well, my week's been uh, crack-a-lacking, sir, which is going to be a thing. We're going to turn it into a thing. I've uh, been to the cinema. I've watched the new Netflix release. So it's been a good time to rewind, get in touch with the new releases. So uh, last week I went to go see Nobody, the the Bob Odenkirk film where, you know, he stars against your favourite member of the Wu-Tang Clan, RZA. I do, I do like me some RZA and yeah. I do like Christopher Lloyd. And Christopher Lloyd is in it as well. So basically, if, for those that are unaware, Bob Odenkirk is your, your average man, bit of a bit of a loser, if you will. Um, so he's, he's not out, John Wick then. He's not John Wick. His house gets burgled, and he has the option to, you know, defeat them, beat them back. But he's got a kind heart and he overhears them talking about how they desperately need the money to feed their children. So, he, you know what, he, he decides not to. But then his son attacks and he realises, you know, he's, the family think he's a loser, he's not got it. Turns out I guess to Bob Odenkirk because he just happens to be a former, what they call, auditor for the CIA. And that basically means that he would take on the jobs that no one else could, settle accounts. He was the badass. Without going into too many details, basically he, he get, dips his toe into his former life. And do you know what? Oh, it was a really good film. I know, I know what I've told you there is nothing any different from like a John Wick, um, from a revenge story. But do you know what? Quite thoroughly enjoyed it. And the reason you thoroughly enjoy it is because of Bob Odenkirk. He gets you in. He has that everyman quality. That's why I like the TV show uh, Better Call Saul. Because of Bob Odenkirk, he's so good and it. he's effortless. I never watched Better Call Saul. I think it's, some parts of it are better than Breaking Bad. I love Breaking Bad and I wasn't in a rush to watch Better Call Saul. I like the character. I liked him in Breaking Bad. I think... It was just so good. I was like, I didn't want to dip my toes back in that just yet. It's a weird one that you don't actually think that that character needs a spin-off. Mm. But when I watched it, and it's kind of like a prequel to it, where you get, where he turns into Sol, oh, it's very good. Yeah. Writing's just as snappy as you remember it. When, it. when it brings back characters as well that you remember from Breaking Bad, oh, it's brilliant. But this film, um, artistic, realistic. Bob Odenkirk, though, is, and I, I, this is a very good compliment, effortless. He slips into this role with such ease, it's almost like he's a slippery eel of acting. <laughs> you know, he, he morphs into this crazed killer, which essentially is just a middle-aged dad. <laughs> and they he, they play up the middle-aged dad thing. Every There's nothing menacing about him. His killing is kind of sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so you better, uh, better call someone, I do apologise. Uh, nobody, uh, well worth your time, I'd say. I got good reviews. I heard... Uh... What's it? The uh, Komodo Mayo's podcast. He said on there. He said it is. It was film of the week. He's like big, big movie. That one. It wasn't. Um, granted, not going to win an Oscar. 
it's probably not going to go in our vault, which is, in my opinion, more important than an Oscar. Of course it is. But it's it's well worth the journey. Uh, was your other movie then, you said the Netflix release, was it Fatherhood? It was because I knew that you'd watched it. So I thought, you know, let's let's talk about it. I, I love Fatherhood. I thought it was a performance that no one was expecting. And a good thing, sorry. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen this, it's just come out on Netflix. It is number one in the UK and the US at the moment in, in Netflix charts. Uh, it stars Kevin Hart. Um, it, the storyline of it is he's a single dad bringing up a uh, baby. It's so uh, it's no spoiler. It's in the trailer. It's in the opening minutes of the movie. Uh, his wife dies shortly after giving birth to like, their... Like very shortly after as well. So it's not like, you know... He's deep in it and he's like, he's like, boom, yeah. fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, it's literally within hours of the baby being born. Um, this uh, little Maddie and uh, Kevin Hart's character, Matt, then has to raise her. He's surrounded by, you know, the mother-in-law, the father-in-law, his mum. Kind of, he's got this network around him, but he just wants to do it on his own. Uh, but everyone around him is kind of doubting his abilities because he's the immature one. He's he, The movie, he starts as Kevin Hart, doesn't he? Yeah, he's Kevin. Yeah. Oh, that's a great way of saying it. He is the Kevin Hart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, do you know what? This movie had things wrong with it. It had a forced third act that... Because every one of these movies, you know something's going to rock the boat that they have to resolve in the third act. It's the it's this generic staple of any... And this one was really like... It, it was sabotaged. Nothing was going to go wrong. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, he's got to make something go wrong. And I was like, we could have... I, I, we could have just had a movie where there was none of that stuff. So it had, like, the formulaic issues to it. But fuck it. I loved it. I laughed. I cried. I'm a new dad. You know, in, I've got a six-month-old watching him do things like struggling to um, like collapse a pram, yeah. you know, or or build a, a cot bed or stinky nappies and just not knowing what the fuck you're doing. And everyone else around you seems like they know everything and they've got it all sussed. It it hit me on a, I, I it's weird. Like I didn't know how much I needed to see this movie. And yeah. then all of a sudden I was like, yeah, he's brilliant. It, 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 like that, he, he captured it. And I know he's got kids of his own and I imagine... Uh, it was like, you know, I know it's based on a book, but I imagine it was a lot of his experiences as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a lot of dad's experiences and it's come out obviously at Father's Day. Um, but yeah, I found myself being like, shit, I do that all the time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and, and I found it very, very relatable um, until obviously the third act when he got, you know, it just didn't, it didn't need to go where it went. But yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, everything I needed to be on a Saturday night with some popcorn on the sofa. Well, that's absolutely, that's no higher praise than that. Now I've got to say, Melody Heard, who played Maddie, Oh my She's God. adorable. She's so adorable. I wanted to reach into the screen and pinch her cheek. She's that great. Sassy, the right level of sassy for such a young actor as well. She's mate. She's money. Now I know child actors then grow on to not make money, but still she was adorable. And I really liked um, DeWanda Wise. She played like the uh, Swan, mm-hmm. the character that comes in, in the middle part of the film. And do you know what? She was brilliant as well. I really liked the chemistry that the three, uh, the, the uh, three main leads had. It was really adorable. I really liked it. Uh, we, we've got a friend. They have a poker night on Saturday, like these three grown men losing to a girl. I was like, I know a friend like that. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was very, it was, it was a sweet film. It was like you. The third act comes out of nowhere. Like, mm. I know they're trying to tell a story and there's a bit of like the romance element, a bit of comedy, a bit of drama, but it, it does come out of like nothing. But at the same time, it, it, it works. You needed, you kind of, you knew, you expected it. Yeah. It was always coming. It would have been nice if they didn't go that way. But, you know, sometimes you've got to hit the formula. 
I think also as his two psychic friends, you've got Lil Ray Howery and Anthony Carrigan, who I I expected. I really wanted them to be a lot funnier than what they were. Oh, I didn't think Carrigan was very funny. He just freaked me out. Yeah, <laughs> it's just weird. Well, he's got he's got some really good comedy in him though. Like he was yeah. he was brilliant in the new Bill and Ted movie. Um, and I watched Gotham, and I was quite a fan of him in that as uh, what's his name Zaz or whatever the Jose Plemons Zaz. Yeah. Um, Little Ray Harry, I, I kind of really wanted to be a bit better. I, they, there are some scenes where I did laugh at it, but then there were other scenes where I was like, he's really trying and it's, no, it's just, he's just not landing. But Paul Rise is in the movie who like, Beverly Hills Cop, <laughs> you know, like, I haven't seen him, oh, Stranger Things. But then like, where's he been? <laughs> like, it's really good to see him in the movie. Waiting, mate. <laughs> and, and he was he was quite funny in certain scenes. Yeah. Um, and it also has a nice segue. Oh, uh, Alfred Woodard's in it, but then again, she's amazing in everything. Uh, Frankie Fearson's in it. And uh, if you don't know who that is, he plays Barney the Orderly in Silence of the Lambs Hannibal. Oh, mate. So what he's, a pull. Yeah, he's the, he's the kind orderly at the institute <laughs> that Hannibal is locked up at. The only thing, the problem is, he's such a kindly actor. He also appears in the first series of Luke Cage. Everyone loves him, but I'll always remember from The Wire yeah, where, he he plays, where he plays the worst like police commissioner of all time. <laughs> it's like, man's got range. Lovable yeah. or shit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Fatherhood. Check it out. Check it out. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. And cinema-wise, nobody. Nobody give it a go. I do want to see nobody. I just haven't... You've got nobody to go with. I, well, I, I like going to the cinema with Mary and James. In fact, sometimes I prefer it. <laughs> so do I, actually. It's, it's a damning estate of affairs. It's like, we've been locked up for nearly two years. You're like, go to cinema. Who you going with? Fuck that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to go with it. Going on my own. Um, let's then segue into... Uh, the film. The, the main f- event. Well, I'm going to do a bit of a bio first. So... Oh, where's my notes? Here we go. Episode 150, Science of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter, Red Dragon, um, Hannibal. So Hannibal Lecter is the creation of novelist Thomas Harris, who first introduced his cannibal creation to the world in 1981 in the book Red Dragon. You read any of the books? I've only read Red Dragon because it's, that's a tooth fairy, isn't it? Yes. Yes, I've read that one. Yeah, that's the only one I haven't read. Okay, it's the only one I have read. Mate, we, we, we'll fill in the gaps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hello to Dr. Lecter, a forensic psychiatrist by day and a serial killer by night, choosing to eat parts of his victims as well as feeding them to his guests. He's an expert in his field. Dr. Lecter acts as a consultant to the FBI, unaware um, that they are receiving help from the very man that they set out to capture. He's an intellectually vain villain who's eventually caught by profiler Will Graham and sentenced to life imprisonment in a maximum security institute. Behind bars, Lecter continues his work as a consultant with his cat and mouse games with the FBI, helping them to track down both the Two Fury and Buffalo Bill before escaping and later evading recapture. So that's like the arc of the three movies. Yeah, um, We're going to break them down in their chronological order, so not the order in which they were made, uh, which would obviously go Sansa Lambs. Yeah. Then Red Dragon, then, then Red Dragon, then Hannibal. No, then no, Hannibal. Hannibal. Then Red Dragon. Yeah. But, uh, and we're also not going to acknowledge Manhunter. But Manhunter is well worthy of a watch if you haven't seen it, um, which is the movie that came out in 1986 by Michael Mann. Brian Cox playing Hannibal Lecter in it. Yeah. I was. I have, I have fond memories of that film. It's a cult movie now because it didn't find its foot in um, when it came out apparently and the critics weren't too kind to it. But then from the success of Sansa Lambs, people went back and revisited it as a prequel or unofficial prequel and then it found like its fame in like the 90s. There's a very, there's a corner of the internet that like frothing at the bit that they always say that Brian Cox is the better Hannibal Lecter. 
It's very on the nose what Hopkins has done, though. So I've seen an interview with Hopkins where he's like, the second he read the script, he was like, I know exactly how I'm going to play the part. And we all did, because we all saw Brian Cox play it. <laughs> because they are eerily similar. And I'm not saying Anthony Hopkins studied Brian Cox's work and imitated it, but they are fucking quite similar. Well, to be fair, maybe Anthony Hopkins was like the rest of the world. They didn't know Manhunter existed. <laughs> I saw Manhunter on like, it was like ITV at one in the morning. ITV at one in the morning, yeah. Now ITV too. Now, and the <laughs> and the, and the thing, the reason being, and I'm probably going to get onto this later, is I think Michael Mann uh, went with the, you know, obviously the title Manhunter. So it looked at the Will Graham's character more so than what we later saw in the prequel sequel, Red Dragon, which went after the villain. Because when you are making a movie like this, the villain is more interesting than the hero. Oh God, yes. And I think tonally that's where Manhunter maybe lay itself down. It looked at Will Graham as the profiler, the person who can enter the psyche of a villain and he knows what it takes to capture a villain because he can think like them and what emotional and mental drain that has on a person. That's all interesting and and, and I think worthy of a movie. But, you know, when you're chasing cannibals and serial killers, I think audiences attach and gravitate more to the taboo the unknown, and in that instance, I think most of the time it's the killer side of it. You're giving you relevant, aren't you? It's this fascinating my, listening to you too. Just like last week, stuff. I was talking all my stuff. I'm just listening here, mate. I'm, I'm an audience member. Speak more. <laughs> in 99, Anthony Hopkins, uh, actually the movie came out in 91, but uh, Anthony Hopkins would don the hockey goalie tiger mask. Do you know it was a hockey goalie tiger mask? No. Yeah, so there's, there is a wicked video. I'll try and share it online this week of, of them. Um, screenshotting all the different masks they were going to get into work. brilliant. There is one that's eerily similar as well to like the bee mask that Nicolas Cage and Wicker Man and oh, that kind of thing. Mate. Um, but there's all these different ones. Yeah, it's actually a, um, a hockey goalie mask is what they went with in the end. And that's the mate, infamous stole it from scene. Jason. Bullshit. <laughs> um, Matt, he'd go on to win his Oscar in 16 minutes of screen time. It's mental, isn't it? There's only one person who's won an Oscar for less, isn't there? It was uh, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. I think she had, is the only one. I believe she was only on screen for something like eight and a half minutes. Enough for a song, wasn't it? Well, shaved her head, sang a song, and, you know, Oscars love a musical, mate. They do love a musical. And apparently a film about a man who eats people. But we'll get on to that. Yeah, this, yeah. One, this one swept. <laughs> it swept the awards. Um, joined by Jodie Foster, the two went on, yep, to create one of the greatest horror thrillers of all time. Sansa Lambs, inspired by Harris's second book of the same name. Now, it would be after Science of the Lambs, it would be over a decade uh, in Hollywood before we get our na- next taste of Lecter and that was in 1990's Hannibal which then became a movie in 2002 um, 2001 sorry that one's 2001 uh, this time Julianne Moore reprising the character of Chloe Starlin with Gary Oldman playing a previous victim hellbent on revenge so we'll get into that movie in a short moment we're just kind of chronologically going through it and in quick concession uh, in 2002, we would see Hopkins' third and final portrayal of Lecter in an adaptation of Red Dragon, this time with Edward Norton, Harvey Cartel, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Rafe Fiennes, and Emily Watson supporting. Mate, what a cast. The whole series is is full of really well-picked ca- uh, actors for Oh, these absolutely. Roles. Some, of the, some of the best actors and Ray Liotta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I actually completely forgot Ray Liotta was in yeah, that last one. He's in Hannibal, isn't he? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you can't, everyone's got a death note. It's not a winner, <laughs> is it, that one? Uh, in 2007, we were served dessert when, quite frankly, we were all full. And that was Hannibal Rising, the backstory that should have stayed way at the back. It was terrible, wasn't it? it? Was we're bad. not getting into that, are we? I, oh, no, I'm not going to talk about it. Was, it was just bad. But why, why, why did Hollywood somehow realise, like, oh, you know the best villains? Let's give them, like, really, not complex, but really boring storylines. I was like, oh, his sister got eaten, so now he's... It ruined like the mythos of a character that, quite frankly, worked better in the dark. 
Yeah, these and I, I, I you know, I was going to go on to that. This, oh, no, 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 no. This is an excellent point. Uh, something happened like two thousand five onwards, where Hollywood got obsessed with explaining backstories yeah. and villains. You know, like we had Jason and Freddy and Halloween reboots all coming out of the fucking nose. And you had to know why the bad guy was so bad. You had to know that they were a bedwetter, that they tortured animals, that they set fires, you know, that they had the, the kind of... They were just your stereotypical bad kids. Like if you had to design a kid who was who turned into a serial killer, like no real thought onto it. Well, they are the free traits, aren't they? Yeah, of, of, a, of, a, of a When they started to profile, which again, this is off the back and off the kind of FBI profiling. You know, we've, we've all seen the documentary with Manhunters, um, you know, which where the FBI started to interview serial killers to see them common traits. I think they're always the three that they go back to and they're torturing animals, fire and bedwetting are the three traits that most serial killers have. Well, where the bed? Better go kill someone. <laughs> yeah. You did all three of them on your way around here. <laughs> Where's your wife? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. There's something about that backstory, isn't it? It's like, on paper, you're like, all right, it's a young, it's a young uh, Hannibal taking on like Nazi police. Yeah. Like, I, 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 no, I do. I don't want to see. It. I kind of do. No, I don't. Be careful what you wish for. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't get sucked into that whole, why the bad person's bad. Hannibal Lecter is much better with the implied. Yeah. And all of the movies do that really well. You very really, well, you, in fact, you don't see any of Hannibal's like previous crimes. You, they're just referenced. They're just talked about, um, which I do have some of those to go through in a minute. But it is worth mentioning, six years later after that, so in the mid-2000s, um, emerged one of one of the most graphic, gothic, uh, but also stylish and interesting TV series of all time, and that's Hannibal. Now, when we talk about backstory to to one of like the best characters probably in movie history, this was more interesting than like a film where it was like, you know, revenging his sister. Kind of like, say, do you know what the best scenes of Hannibal were? It was Mads Mikkelsen like just polishing things. Mm. Oh, he's so menacing. And do you know what? I think Mads Mikkelsen was maybe the greatest casting since Anthony Hopkins for Hannibal Lecter. I just think they sometimes something is just perfect. Mm. And Mads Mikkelsen's casting and his performance and, they, you know, the, especially the first two series, wow. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting thing to do because it, it never tried to, you know, fall in line with the films. It was like an alternative timeline. It was a what if. Yeah. It just takes some liberties. But you ultimately it was signed for seven uh, seasons. It got dropped after three. And it's one of them, you know, like Firefly things where it's like, how did it get dropped? Everyone liked it. The cast want to do it. The directors, uh, it was uh, Brian Fuller's signed up to do it. Uh, you know, you've pulled in Gillian Anderson. You've got all this, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, Mads Mikkelsen, we were talked about Hugh Dancy. You've got all these characters in it. Um, and it got dropped. And it's something, I, I was reading around it, it's something to do with the fact that it's now owned by Amazon, but it's on Netflix and it's more of a distribution argument. Oh, there's so many of that. Um, the Lego Batman movie, the sequel got cancelled because whilst Warner Brothers owned Batman, the Lego movie is un- owned by Universal. So you'll never get a sequel because of rights. Mm. So Lego's owned, he's just, he's bollocks. So it's like it? the Hulk being owned by Universal. Yeah, it's and just absolute horror. It's like certain X-Men are, are owned by different companies as well, aren't they? And, <sighs> You can't have all your toys in the same toy box anymore, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, exactly. The series one and series two were great. Season three kind of lost it a bit, but you can see where they were going. They were starting to introduce, well, they obviously did introduce, um, you know, the two fairy in that season. Um, and I really want to see where that was going. It was great. It was, gra- uh, sorry, graphic and gory and way over the top. But do you know what? Sometimes when you watch a Mads Mikkelsen prepare a, a moose-bouche out of yeah. Eddie Izzard's leg, whilst wearing the most gorgeous suit you've ever seen, quite liked it. There's, I know, I know. Right, so we're not skipping ahead because we're talking about. We won't be talking about uh, the TV series for that long. The scenes though, where he's uh, opposite against Gillian Anderson, mm. Gillian Anderson versus Mads Mikkelsen, you could have sold tickets because 
I'm fairly certain it's been a while since I've seen him. It's been a while. Um, mm. But she knows, doesn't she? Yeah. Or she, or she, ha- cracks, or she cracks, she, onto she cracks onto it, but she can't prove it. And those scenes, I remember being so taut with, with, with tension because you're like, but he's going to figure out that she knows. And then you're like, the serial killer knows that the only person that he, he kind of trusts, because she's his psychiatrist, I should have said, sorry. So, so he's in talking to her and he's like, she knows that he's lying. And he's like, really tense. Like, well, if he works out, she's dead. And then obviously mm. the character of Julian Anson wasn't in the movies. So they could have done anything with her. They could have like killed her. They could have turned anything. I, was, I was remember thinking, oh my God, this is tense. It heavily implied that she did die at the end though, didn't it? In my the understanding is. I mean, there's an after credit scene where she's eating food and it's her own leg which oh. gives the impression that she's uh, at, at Hannibal's table yeah I, I really enjoyed the TV series and I might I, think, I was going to rewatch it like a few months ago but I don't know if I can do it knowing that it's going to end and not and I'm going to want more you know what I mean yeah. it's like why well, set yourself up for disappointment James well continue listening <laughs> <laughs> um History of Hannibal. So Hannibal's origin has never fully been revealed, but it's thought to be a combination of influences. Um, so Albert Fish being one of those. So the uh, the Moon Maniac, aka the Brooklyn Vampire, um, responsible for over a hundred deaths. Uh, Harris did, however, work as a reporter who interviewed uh, a prison inmate who was responsible for at least three deaths. And at the time in the prison, Harris spoke to uh, the the inmate's doctor, a doctor Salazar, who turned out to be a killer who had done 20 years and then was on a kind of like special release where he could work in the prison and, and try and stop reoffenders and whatever. Yeah. That is such an evil name. Dr. Salazar. Oh no, it's an alias. It's a fake name. It's still, it's still evil. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Dr. Salazar. No, we can't give you your real name because the people know you are. So Dr. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor eats people. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's heavily implied that he's from those interactions as a reporter that Thomas uh, Thomas Harris may have got the the influence. Can you imagine how much that would fuck you up, mate? So you're just doing your job, you're interviewing someone, and then and then like you come out of the room, and then the guy goes, "Oh, that was a bit scary, wasn't it?" What was that? Oh, that guy killed twenty people. You're like, "Oh, cheers, <laughs> thank you for telling me that." After the fact, that would that would fuck me up. Yeah, it. it I mean, it's, it, it must be a really interesting and thought provoking job anyway, going in and interviewing serial killers. Yeah. It's better than mine, <laughs> and it's one. It's one of the one of the talking points. I was going to say that I what I reckon makes Hannibal Lecter such a good character is because there are scenes where he's in a cell behind three inch glass. There's no way he's getting out, but the tension is still that he could reach for at any point and kill someone. He can talk someone into swallowing their own tongue. Jesus, that's literally the point I was going to make. Is it's not a physical threat. The mm. problem is that he turns. He got mixed. He's like. He kills Migs just by talking to him. Yeah. That's the scariest thing. No, I, I, that was the point I was going to make. That's a brilliant point. But it, I, we all talk about, or we all have them fears of like the boogeyman, you know, at nighttime when you walk past the window and, you know, the curtains aren't drawn and you're like, oh, there's someone out there. How do, if I saw Hannibal Lecter on the other side of it, I'd be like, fuck it. No. Because although he's not going to run after you, James, I just, I feel like he's already got one step ahead of me. Thing is as well, uh, maybe I should mention that point later, but he himself is imposing without physically being imposing. Mm. Like, I look at himself because I could have you in a fight. Puts his sneer on, gels his hair back. Mm. Different kettle of fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there is something about him when he lets that guard down and he shows, you know, the the insane side of him where he kind of, I don't know, peels his lips back and he just shows his teeth. And it is fucking scary. Like this, no, no joke. Sansa Lamb's growing up when I watched it for the first time, way too young. All the way through that movie, I was terrified. Even when he was in a cell, I was like, he's going to get out. And when he does get out, mate, fucking no. Yeah, yeah, just did it, man. Um, so before we start breaking down the different movies, key scenes, that kind of stuff, just really basking in the glory that is uh, the Anthony Hopkins 
Hannibal Lecter series. Uh, let's look at things like memories of Sansa Lambs. Can you remember first seeing it? I do remember... Right, so my first memory is, weirdly, the title, because I remember seeing the title thinking, that sounds like shit. <laughs> it's like, Silence of the Lambs. Why well, aren't Lambs pretty silent? Anyway, what's going on there? Didn't get it, mate. I saw this early teens. Mm. And I think I saw this, like, ITV film this. IT film late at night. Um, I remember being petrified. I remember not watching it fully the first time. I remember getting to a particular scene, and it is the scene where... It's towards the end, but it's, it's the most tense I've, I've, I've ever felt is when she gets excluded from the main thing. And I knew like she was right. And it's when uh, Hannah Blechter does a deal with the center. And that terrified me so far and much of anything. I remember mm. my first memory turning off going, nah, I, I know that Clarice is right. Nah, nah, I'm done here. Because I was, I was under the impression that because as a 12 year old, 13 year old, I can't remember how old I was. I didn't understand the relationship they had. I thought she's dead. Yeah. I I was like, I was under the opinion that, you know, as you get old and you understand the dialogue a bit more. But at that time, mate, I was like, Anna Blechder is eating Clarice. And at one point, you know, after a certain scene, I was like, that's, that's Anna Blechder dressed up as Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's peeled her skin. That's him. And I was a kid, I was convinced that he was going to turn out to be an alien or something. I was terrified of him. And the, the, the first time I remember being terrified of when you first see him and he's just stood there mm. and he stood there like, at, you know, like an army man. He stood up straight. It's his kind of, like looks like a mobster, like the greased hair and a doctor. And the fact that he's so imposing without being physically imposing is the scariest thing. Because I think on a like a biological level, like a primal level, it makes you uneasy because that's a testament to how good Anthony Hopkins was. So that his acting is so good, it it primarily unnerved me. It's like he does a good job of being such a, he's such a good job of being a psychopath that I weirdly felt uncomfortable watching him. And I assume Anthony Hopkins isn't a psychopath. So that's very good in like two seconds of standing. It is, it is an iconic scene, isn't it? When Jodie Foster's walking down that corridor for the first time. I th the, do you know what it is? It's the jump scare just before as well. It's like Miggs like throws himself at the window. That fucking terrified me as well. And that's the jump scares don't work on me except for that one. Yeah. Oh, he throws a semen at her first, doesn't he? Oh, well, this makes mate. <laughs> he was having a bad day. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a truly horrific like a scene and then yeah the reveal the slow panning reveal uh, of Hannibal stood there and what I like is when it's moving in Red Dragon and this time he's laying down because you're all expecting him to be stood there <laughs> and this time he's laying down not even looking you're like oh it's a crafty fucker that one or the single chair I think my earliest memory is actually the chair at the long corridor just thinking it's ominous yeah just the chair I remember watching it as a kid thinking why put the bad guy in an evil cellar you know what I mean like put <laughs> yeah. him in like a pink room like fucking dumb it down a bit yeah, like, you know in like I mean? a soft playroom yeah. just like, and he's there just like on the on the jungle bars give him like rainbow like clothing you know big shoes <laughs> oh Hannibal <laughs> yeah. yeah you're too cute instead of putting him in like you know the cave room <laughs> it does look like someone's used the unused wing of the bat cave isn't it yeah, yeah it's where the Batman just saves all his like, all these villains oh I, I remember the poster, man. I remember the poster growing up, I think VHS or something like that, and seeing it, and, and it just looked like a horror movie. It looked like a movie I was too young to see. Yeah. Like the Death Moth, Jodie Foster, although actually at the time, and even into adulthood, I I'd, I'd still didn't realise it was Jodie Foster. I knew she was in the movie, but I just thought it was a, a model or something yeah. on the front cover. I was, I, yeah, I can see why you wouldn't see that. Yeah, and I, just right from the start. I must have watched the movie three times, before I, or yeah, probably about three times before I was actually old enough and mature enough to actually understand as well some of the complexities, particularly Buffalo Bill's character. Yeah. And I remember we're going to get into that when we start dissecting some of the movies. Um, 
impact of that first movie was, uh, I, I firmly believe that it was post 70s, 80s taboo kind of grindhouse horror because it still had that feel to it. There were scenes, for example, in Silence of the Lambs when the, um, there's an autopsy scene and you see the camera and you hear the hear the, the bulb and then you see the photo instead of seeing the actual body. And it had this very like 70s uh, kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre feel to it. And I do genuinely think it kind of paved the way for movies like Seven to come out mid-90s yeah. and, you know, have that kind of, again, that show don't tell, but really creep an audience out by implying what the bad guys are doing. Because the movies aren't particularly brutal. When they need to be, they, they are. And people do die and there are scenes of, you know, Hannibal biting into people. But for the most part, things like the bodies, the skin bodies in the first movie, it is all aftermath. It's all photos. I, I do think this movie was massively influential. Oh, yeah, completely. I, I completely agree with you. His impact on cinema that came afterwards. You're always going to have people that are inspired by great movies, and that's a great thing. I'm going to break down some of the characters as well, because I think, I think for even though I have favourites win this, and Silence of Lambs is a league of its own, the other two, for me, are, they, there's parts of them that I enjoy. I quite like Hannibal's over art as well over the three movies, but the Silence of Lambs is the one, but I think all three movies have really good characters in them. And there's kind of like the starting line. So Will Graham, I think is a really interesting character, obviously from Red Dragon, played by Edward Norton, but he's also played by William Peterson and uh, Hugh Dancy, if you're looking at the Man TV, series. The TV series. Yeah. The, so the TV series, Hugh Dancy's probably my least favourite Will Graham because he's a bit fucking whiny by season two. He is East Vanilla in a chocolate world. He's, He's so like, I mean, he read that he read the, you know, the bio, didn't he? He's like, you know, I've got to show empathy. I've got to be able to put myself in the mindset of a villain, but I, I've also got to let it take my toll. And God, he don't half moan. I think, I think the idea behind the character of Will Graham is that he's, he's so good. He's so good that he can mimic a predator, which is why, you know, he can catch them all. But then when he gets, he gets two in his world and then like you say, he starts moaning. He's like, oh, I don't want to be this good at something. I'd rather like, you know, grow flowers. The, the problem is, is I don't care. <laughs> mm. um, as opposed to, and I think that's because of it's, it's a long time. It's a lot. It's three series of listening to this guy moan. Whereas in you watch a movie, it's, it's two hours. So yeah. I just think it's, it's a long show. I do like in the TV series how he conceptualized things. You know, he, he views them. But I thought Edward Norton uh, in uh, Red Dragon does a, very, does a very good job with less. Mm. You know, he's just like, he comes across as quite affable. Someone who, well, actually, no, that's a, that's a point that you'd say is, he never, his dark side, he flirts with the dark side, is actually done quite well or poorly. It depends how you as an audience member think of it. At times it's really good. He can flirt with the dark side so he knows he can get through like the eyes of the um, the red dragon. I, I liked I liked Ed Norton's character in it. I, I thought his portrayal of it was really good. I, I'd agree with everything you said there. He's got that, I've done it once, I've done it twice. I don't need to stop a third serial killer but I kind of want to, yeah. I, I, you know, and he's obviously got the, under the form of, of Crawford as his kind of protege. Um, and then before you know, yeah, he's kind of sucked back up into that red drain case. I, the two theory case. I, I quite like him. I like also, I think Ed Norton, Anthony Hopkins as a pair work really well with this. Anthony Hopkins trying to, trying to um, kind of influence and trying to get in his head and trying to get him to nurture and almost, almost trying to be like a fatherly figure to him. You do what if you if you were like if you were his lawyer if you were Hannibal Lecter's lawyer you'd go um, right Hannibal I, I know you've done these horrible things we're trying to keep you out of jail uh, maybe you don't be so good at profiling yourself so that when you're sat next to him he doesn't go 
it was you. <laughs> Just like, maybe tell him it was a woman. <laughs> maybe tell him it was from like a poor poor background because he feeds him all the information he needs to go. So Edward Norton just turns around and goes, it, it was you, wasn't it? Yeah, it I was like, you, yeah. I like the reveal in Red Dragon. I like that because in the book, it's a lot longer. I think he goes, I have read Red Dragon because he goes to him twice, doesn't he? And um, it's on the second time when he goes to visit. In the book, in the film, obviously, it's, it's the opening, opening scene. Isn't it? Yeah. And it, yeah, he, I like Ed Norton's uh, portrayal in that bit when he's like, you know, the thing that's bothering me is you should have seen this. And then Hannibal Lecter's like, I'm beginning to worry that I don't have your full confidence anymore. And he's like, no, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. I'm just tired. And it genuinely, like, and there's another bit that's mirrored then later on when uh, Edward Norton goes to see him and he's like, I, you need to catch this killer to prove that you're smarter than him. And then Hannibal Lecter turns on him and says, but you caught me. So you think you're smarter than I am. And he goes, no, no, I don't think I'm smarter than you. And there's this very genuine, like, he's just suddenly going, I know it. I say, who's behind the glass, bitch? <laughs> Right. Play, play your basketball, motherfucker. <laughs> off to fucking McDonald's. What are you doing? You yeah, got no right. toilet seat. Who's, who's that? Smarter than who? See you later. <laughs> I don't even need you, mate. Just come, <laughs> just come see Migs. <laughs> don't fucking need you. I need to rub in. Big Mac. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, Migs don't die to the next movie. How are you doing, Migs? <laughs> What's that in your hands? <laughs> Um, oh, Jesus. Will Graham's character arc in the books as well is a lot more dark as well. So we obviously get the backstory. It's only mentioned briefly in Red Dragon that he's already ki- he's already caught one serial killer, um, which is known as Hobbs, the mini Minnesota Shrike. Uh, it's mentioned very early on in the Red Dragon movie. Where he's like, I caught Hobbs on a whim. Uh, in the books, obviously, he witnesses Hobbs uh, doing horrible crimes, which then affects him, puts him in a psychiatric ward for a month. He comes out. He then catches Hannibal Lecter. It costs him almost disembowelment. Um, and then by the time he's mentioned in the Science of the Land books, um, the, uh, uh, sorry, later on, it's um, he's, he's known as a drunk in Florida. It's really got to him. He's fallen. He's the fallen. I really yeah. like that in Silence of the Lambs. Is like the implication that, the implication that he's already destroyed a career. He's he's behind he's behind prison, but Hannibal Lecter has won mm. because they, all he wanted was to destroy this guy's life, and he has. And I think that's a really good idea, proving why they need someone else in Clarice, who uh, who they use to try and manipulate Hannibal, which is absolutely fantastic based on his past uh, transgre- uh, transgressions, his past interactions with uh, Will Graham. It's it's described. Will Graham is described as the uh, the hounds in Crawford's pa- uh, pack but now a drunk in Florida. And that's the last time you hear of him. So he has that kind of... I think that's quite... Yeah. I, know, I know it's not a good thing, like, but as an audience member, that's a better ending than, oh, everything was fine. <laughs> it, it implies to me that there are repercussions for the events of these, of these uh, well, in the books. Mm. It's like, I quite liked wondering what happened to Clarice after her interactions with... I know we got it, we found out in the film Hannibal. It's really cool knowing that that makes me sound evil, doesn't it? It's really nice knowing that you still affected them afterwards because that's great storytelling. Well, Clarice's arc is very different in the books to what it is in the movies. Yeah, I know it is. It's really shit in the books. So Clarice Starling in, in the first installment that we see is Jodie Foster, but later becomes Julianne Moore. Um, a young woman, up and coming student at the FBI Academy under the same guidance and supervision of Jack Crawford. Um, bonds with Lecter following um, a, a united distaste for asylum manager, Dr. Shifton Chilton. 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 Um, the, I, what, what's really cool about Jodie Foster's performance, and re, I think really important as well, is that she is a you, you know a woman trying to make it in, in very much a man's world. Mate, welcome to my notes. That's what I've got here. She's picked purposely 
because she's a young female yeah. to manipulate Hannibal Lecter. But I really like as well that she's the lamb. The lamb obviously being an innocent animal, you know, the, the, the uh, metaphors with God and everything untouched by sin, in the place of the ultimate sinner. Mm. Silence of the lambs. Silence of the chloe, sure. No, uh, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, absolutely great with you. It's like you change the role of of what a woman could be in film. She starts off as like the ultimate, like the ultimate like victim. You know, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's picked out of academy. It, the first, the opens of her training, and then Crawford's like You're her, like like he's picked up. It's like I need a demure, quiet. Get some information from because they just send her out on a whim. Like go talk to him because no one else wants to talk to him, and they don't think he's going to buy. And they don't think he's going to buy, but they do because she gets it out of him because he sees in her pure innocence, and he's like, oh, I can play with that, and then. By the end of the film, she's manipulated. She, we're not manipulated. She's turned events, and she's the savior. And I just think it was, it was brilliant from victim to savior. Yeah, I think in, it tries to imply, doesn't it, that that uh, Chilton makes a pass at her. She turns him down. Well, how then, could you without a slimy man? Everyone wants slime on them. Anthony Hill. I think he plays the part brilliantly. He does. I, he's, he's really good. Um, and then that kind of gives him a bond. But Lecter wouldn't have seen that because he's in his fucking cell. So it, yeah. like, I, I, I just, I think I agree more along your lines. He sees something that he is probably foreign to him. Um, and he is cat and mouse. He likes the games. He wants to get in ahead. The whole point of this movie fucking is... Fucking loves the games, Yeah, mate. he do, he just, oh, he's bored down there, isn't he? <laughs> fucking connect four with Migs. <laughs> <laughs> he's... Um, in the whole part of this movie as well is that quid pro quo scene where he's like, I'll give you something, but I want something in return. And, and then, all he wants is her stories. And the Science of Lamb's, well, this Lamb's story about her growing up on a farm, you know, where um, she mentions about her dad dying, doesn't she? And yeah. Dying, you know, she was, associates it with the slaughter of lambs at the farm that she's grown up on. Yeah, and, and the fact that they, they scream every night. Now, that being said, years ago, Fucking! Oh, don't tell me. Are you gonna tell me a story that makes me? Oh no, no. I, I so I, I I stayed on this like ranch place. I, I did a little bit of traveling, and when I was in um, in Africa, I stayed in this like wildlife place, and uh, I was there for like a month. And at night time, when the fucking goats and lambs are, are like blaring, it does sound like someone saying "Help me!" I shit you not. Okay, it that would does. Fuck me up. One night, we we all like so. Was, there must have been about fifty of us volunteers like helping out. And this one night we all, like about 10 of us got up and was like, so, because so, there was like lions and fucking all sorts of stuff, um, you know, in this like sanctuary that we were working in. And uh, so we genuinely thought someone had been fucking sleepwalking, had gone off somewhere. There was like roaming um, like animals and all sorts of stuff that could have got someone. A fucking ostrich nearly mowed me down, mate. Don't trust them. And um, so we, that, we, it Don't was like, trust an ostrich. <laughs> we, there's like 10 of us got up and we're walking and then this lad just come back after about 10 minutes he's like it's it's a lamb it's a it's a fucking goat or whatever and they do sound like they're saying help me it's fucking weird and I that, can't believe uh, I can't believe that kid got away with murder <laughs> it's just like oh no, done, no, actually, no, 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 no fed no, him to a lion actually fucking, that's the perfect murder isn't it, was it? A, it was a fucking lamb trust me right back to bed yeah yeah oh Aaron can I, see can I see you for a minute <laughs> <laughs> you look tasty <laughs> Yeah, so get, get your thighs out. The, the movie has so many layers to it, you know. And, and Clarice's character is still in the uh, is in the top fifty protagonists of all time according to IMDb. Tops numerous charts. Obviously, Jodie Foster won an Oscar for this role. I think she's brilliantly created. Um, I like how it's like the number one thing. Don't tell the killer anything about you. And she's fucking very quickly in in a way that is because she's trying to impress her colleagues and Crawford. Uh, Crawford. And she thinks, well, this might be a way for me to get some information. So she does lean on Lecter a little bit and give him a little bit of information. So what I like about this is I think this is the Will Graham character. It's like everyone knows Crawford was like, you know, kind of like in a way helped Will Graham become Will Graham. So it's like Crawford is like a like a 
maker in the FBI. And she's like, oh, maybe I could be the next one. And that's why she wants to impress him. And I really like that. And that's something that uh, Hannah Blechler says to her. He's like, oh, you're fast-tracking with a... I just, there's so many layers on this without you seeing, because obviously I saw Silence of the Lambs first and mm. then found out about the Will Graham character, who is, without being mentioned, like a shadow on Clarice's development because she's not Will Graham. It like, works so much better this way around, though. So This is the other thing about Manhunter. I like Manhunter. I think Manhunter is a good movie. It works so much better, Silence of the Lambs, and then Red Dragon. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't have to explore Lecter's backstory. It's kind of all given to you. It's all implied. It's all talking about, you know... Sam Sams is perfect. You draw, he's already captured. Like, I, I just love that about it. I love this idea that you to catch a killer, you've got to consult with a with a killer. And I prefer Chloe Starling, who's the innocent, who doesn't know how to put a mind in, you know, in the in the Ish. psyche of a killer than, than Graham does. Later on, when Julianne Moore picks up it or picks up the character in in Hannibal, um, Clarice is somewhat jaded. She there's a drug bust that's gone wrong. Someone's got shot. She's a bit of a laughing stock. She's obviously at this point a bit fallen for Grace. Jack Crawford's no longer around, and Ray Liotta's character is is it's kind that. of well, he's yeah, he's a bit of a dick. He's trying to kind of sink her career, and then Hannibal reaches out to her, doesn't he? And he's like, I heard you know the bad news. At this point, she doesn't know that he's in Florence, and then we get the Hannibal storyline in the book. At the end of Hannibal, which I really am jumping the gun here, but obviously they serve up a bit of uh, Ray Liotta's brain, his frontal lobe oh, with some absolute bollocks, isn't it? Yeah, in the in the in the film they feed it to to poor Ray, don't they? Yeah. Whereas in the uh, books, Juliet, well, Chloe Starling takes a fucking chomp. Yeah. It gets a bit of a taste for it. They then run off to Buenos Aires together as lovers. Yeah. Like I think in the book she offers her breasts, and Hannibal Lecter takes them, and they go off to uh, Buenos Aires and. Uh, Full circle, Barney the orderly spots them and sees the two happy and leaves them. And then there's a quote, there's there's a line in it to say that uh, fine. It's something like since he found Clarice, he didn't need to he didn't need to kill anymore. Um, he doesn't need the drug that is you know the elixir of eating people because it's, he's found love. It's such horseshit. And he <laughs> and he he no longer misses his his uh, his daughter his sister sorry who got killed all them years it's it's a really shitty ending it's so bollocks I much prefer fucking Julia Moore on the other end of a telephone just going Lecter Dr. Lecter fuck it as, as he's off to go eat Chilton it's so fucking bad yeah. I absolutely hate that when I found out it's like oh Clarice and Hannah Lecter are lovers I'm like oh that is like, like I got the impression it's like it's really weird father and daughter it's like I eat people but I respect you comes from mutual respect of like and that's why I really like the ending of Science of the Lambs when they're on the phone. He's like, he's like, I won't, I won't eat you. He's like, I'm going to have an old friend for dinner. The implication being like, you're safe because I respect you, mm. but you need to let me eat. <laughs> you need to let me be me. And she's kind of accepted of that, going, eh, ain't got no choice. Oh, that's the way. Yeah, it's Science of the Lambs isn't it, that you want. He goes after children because he's going on the holiday to yeah, Jamaica. Got, yeah. Yeah, because in the book he because he's got that because Hannibal Lecter looks good in a Hawaiian shirt and a straw. Yeah, because he nails. It's that. Hannibal. He's on the plane in and he feeds the brain to the boy. It's does fucking he? dark. Isn't oh, it? he does, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, uh, the kid's like, oh, what are you having? Like, I'll tell you what, don't accept food from strangers, people. Because it could, be, it could brain. be a brain. <laughs> now you're going to explain that if someone stopped it. It's like, sorry, sir, you can't bring your own food on this flight. Well, it's, so, it's food. I've got a special diet, man. I need it. <laughs> and also, brain you shouldn't eat. Brain has uh, prions in it, James, which is a. Which is a Precursor uh, to my cow disease. It, well, Nearly, oh, it's okay. a it's an enzyme in the brain that uh, fights disease, and if you eat them, it's very similar to Macar's disease. It's like J Jacobs, Jacobs, Jacobs. That really complicated way. Of, I think it's just another word for myself. I'll, I'll shut up. 
No, sir. There's an episode of uh, X-Files where Chaco Chicken, the hometown of Chaco Chicken, series two, mm. like episode 24, I believe, where there's a whole town of like, it's KFC, but the meat is humans and all the factory eaters have been eating it and then they catch my, they catch this disease where it's called my cow's disease and they all die. There you go. Don't don't eat chicken. That's the, that's the method. Some Papua New Guinea trials have been eating people for that that's long. That's where it comes from. That they believe it sustains, it, it, it renews life. That's the storyline. Yeah, yeah. So Papua New Guinea trials will eat their ancestors believing it. Yeah, it kind of helps them pass or it gives them eternal life or whatever it is. Um, but they've been eating humans for that long that they've developed uh, immunity to the prions that cause the macazzi's side effect. I do what, and I know that in your will, you've made it known that you want people to eat you. I definitely don't want people to eat me. Why not? I just don't want to be a poo. <laughs> I'm going to say it every week, James. I say it every week. I'm going to keep saying it. Don't don't, want- I really don't want to be eaten. <laughs> it's probably my number one goal in life and death. <laughs> to not be eaten. To not be eaten. Because you don't want to be a poo. <laughs> I don't want the last foot. Like if I was in Jaws, mate, and I was... I, and. Bruce was taking a chomp out of me on the boat at the end. Yeah. My last thought of it, oh, I'm going to be a shark shit. Like, I just really don't want that to happen. And I know people are like, well, if you get buried, you're, like, you're going to be worm food and all that kind of stuff. That's probably the number one reason why I get cremated. Because I just don't want anyone to have the satisfaction of turning me into a poo. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, good point, though. Yeah. Good point. I right. stand by, mate. <laughs> right, Jack Crawford. Jack Crawford. Now, I put Jack Crawford down as a almost a villain-like character. Now, Jack has been played by Dennis uh, Farina in Manhunter, Scott Glenn in Science of Lambs, who I really like his Jack Crawford. I think Scott Glenn's my Jack Crawford. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I don't think uh, Lawrence Fishburne did actually a pretty good Lawrence job. Fishburne did good. Harvey Keitel, obviously, in Red Dragon. Um, I think he's a really interesting character. He's a public servant. He's mentor. He's well-renowned. He's respected. Um, he gets the job done. And the thing is, he will he will get the job done. He's all about preserving human life at all costs, even if it means destroying someone's soul. Yeah. And that's the balance that Crawford walks down. Um, you see, I always thought of it like um, he was he was two-faced, as in his face was, you know, the FBI, you know, we have to do this. But then he was always able to subtly manipulate in his own way. So he's like, he's the un, he's the shadow. He's the one moving the pieces. So the game is between him and Hannibal, but he will refuse to go face to face with Hannibal. Because his he's, knight is because his knight. Yeah. So ultimately, I always think he's he's actually a bad character because he puts these people that he ultimately knows. You've said it perfectly. He knows ultimately their souls will be destroyed, but he needs to win. Yeah. Because yeah. he is a boss. He is the face of authority, isn't he? He's the he's the the business, I suppose. This this behind it, the FBI. I think he's a subtle villain in in many ways. I think he. Um, that's why I don't like Harvey Keitel because he plays him as quite a good guy whereas in Red Dragon I remember thinking like he's the ultimate good guy whereas whereas Lawrence Fishburne old Larry and Glenn Scott did such a good job of like they were they were manipulating they were mm. like they knew what it was going to cost uh, like Clarice and Glenn but they were like you do it yeah, yeah. do it yeah go on yeah I, I think he's really again this is what I mean I think the characters of this of this saga are really good and last but not least you, you have to have a villain in these films that isn't actually the person eating another person. And in that case, it's Dr. Chilton. We already talked about, uh, played by Anthony Held in these. Um, pompous, arrogant, head of the asylum and the, and the uh, sanitarium. Originally played by Benjamin Henriksen, actually, um, before coming over to Anthony Held, who played him in Sansa Lambs and then came back for Red Dragon. 
Um, he's the prize pig on Lecter's menu, the uh, person who believes he's safe because he's behind three inches of glass, but he's always poking the bear. Yeah. And that character you know is going to get their comeuppance at some point. He's also someone who's clearly intellectual because he's, you know, because his stance, but he's not respected by anyone. No. A lot of dialogue is him talking and people just dismissing him as like an annoyance, as someone who, again, they question how he ever got to the place that he's into. He's also eager and frothing to be the one who gets inside Lecter's mind and Lecter doesn't want to bait and doesn't want to play to it. I think he's a really awesome uh, character, actually. I think he's, I, I agree with that. He's the only character, because what we've all said about this character, so far, they're all flawed. So even if, you know, like we were just talking about Jack Crawford, ultimately he will destroy careers, destroy people to get, you know, to get the result he wants. Um, Clarice, no, flirts with the dark side. Hannibal eats people. What I really like about uh, Chilton is he's ultimately clueless and is clueless in his cluelessness. Like, if you look at Science of the Lambs, his entire job is to be manipulated by um, Hannibal Lecter until the point Hannibal Lecter can see an escape and then turns it on. It's like, you tell them this mm. and you will get the you will get the benefit from this. So then, then allowing him to escape later. So he basically is the ultimate patsy who's manipulated by everyone. And I love the idea that he's so clueless that he thinks that he will be the one to break Hannibal Lecter. I, yeah. I love that. He's like, I'll do it. I'm the expert. Despite the fact that it's quite clearly known straight on, no one has been able to break Hannibal Lecter except for uh, Will Graham mm. and then Clarice because he's just so stoic. And he, I just, I love the, the ultimate, he, he's clueless. That's the best way to describe it in my opinion. You also need that character in these movies as well where you're like, oh, you know, you don't want to, you don't want anyone to die like in these movies apart from Chun. You know, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? It's like, yeah, if he went, it's not the end of the world yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, the unsung hero of all that's not going to go into is, is is Barney the orderly, the guy that's kind to Lecter, the guy that Lecter wouldn't uh, attack because he, because it's the thing. Lecter also, the complexity of the character, is very much a Robin Hood character. One thing we should say is he doesn't just kill any, anyone. He kills and eats the root. He, he, those that offend him, those that, um, you know, what kind of, uh, we've seen it, it's like the, the, um, the member of the orchestra who plays out of tune, that kind of thing. It's, um, it's fucking badass. I, I like him as well. Like when someone described him as the Robin Hood serial killer, you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah like, it's an oxymoron right there. Red Dragon 2002, directed by uh, Brett Retner. Um, one of the first 15s I went to go see the cinema. Really? Yeah, I was 15. 2002. Yeah. I do you want to make this? We described this last week when I've like described a film from 20 years ago and it was like 40 years ago. It was like, <laughs> James, your life's over. Get over it. Um, yeah, Brett Renner, famous for all three Rush Hour movies Hercules with a Rock in it and X Men Last Stand. Can't win them all. Oh, you can't win any of them. It <laughs> comes from like a real big like music background, you know, oh, documentaries no. and music videos and stuff. Um, as we've already discussed, story focuses on the capturing of the Tooth Fury, a killer who slaughters entire families every lunar moon cycle. Will Graham, the agent who's responsible for putting the prolific cannibal, Hannibal Lecter behind the bars, um, is pulled out of retirement by Jack Crawford in the FBI. Um, and he quickly learns that he needs to go back to speak to Lecter to get advice and to get um, to consult in capturing the two fairy before he finds his next family. I, I, I think Red Dragon is a really good movie. It's two hours long. It's got some really good set pieces that really help that two hour like narrative. Straight the, the the big the big problem with the movie is the script is really bad. Yeah, the script is the, 
it's the dialogue mostly. The dialogue's fine when it's Lecter saying it, but but mm. when every other character's talking that way, it's it's Lecter gets away with it. But There's, I do remember being disappointed in one scene. So uh, the opening, despite the fact that I've got I made a joke about it earlier, it's a good scene. I like the idea that Hannah Lecter as well is that when he's realizing that he's getting close to him, starts sharpening his knife, it's like I'm gonna have to cut a bitch. <laughs> you mm. know, b- beforehand he w- he was never gonna kill him because he quite enjoyed the friendship, which I thought was quite nice. Then there's a scene where he goes to seek advice from him and he tells him, it's like, you know, obsession and that sort of thing. And then that makes Graham, like, go stand in a tree and it makes it, it kind of, like, opens up the beginning of the case. I really didn't like that because I was like, Graham's supposed to be the guy that caught Hannah Blackdale. Why does he need to be told, you know, that the killer watches? I thought it was pretty an obvious thing, that sort of thing. That said, uh, Ralph Fiennes mm. is fucking phenomenal. Uh, and, I, and I'll be honest, I really like the killer... And I like the motives. He's trying to transform, like, you know, William Blake's, like, uh, pictures, his art. I, I think that's brilliant because cause it's kind of like, it's an interpretive motive. It's not like trying to build a suit, <laughs> a skin suit. It's kind of like, I want to transform through murder. And you're like, what does that mean? That's cool. That's different. That's kind of epic. You know, he's got the giant tattoo. I think that's brilliant as motives go because you can interpret it so many different ways. Yeah, I mean, I did question them over this week when I rewatched it, thinking, so your end game is to become a dragon. Yeah. Let's, let's see how that goes for you. <laughs> well, he won, right? Was, didn't he then go on to star in The Hobbit? Is that not what happened? <laughs> Francis Dollarhide is you know, the character, the two for it. I, I think he is really well. What I like about it as well is uh, Ray Fiennes didn't didn't do anything to like bulk up. He's like, you know, this whole idea that he's this bodybuilder, this super strong guy. You see him lifting weights in one scene, but other than that, it's yeah. just Ray Fiennes. He's a Um I, I really like the character. Again, it kind of goes down. It, what what Red Dragon gives you is, again, I probably could have done with just just that he was doing this because he was doing it and actually not put a face to the killer because that makes him far more scarier. And there's a, there is a lot of like him trying to find romance. I was going to say the, the subplot with the blind lady because she can't see his imperfection. Emily Watson, who I think is phenomenal in this movie. Oh, yeah, she, but she always is. Yeah. She's fantastic. I, I think the I could do with le- less of that and less of the... Um, you know, the voice in his head, the grandma voice in his head, because... Uh, the bit I can't stand is the Philip Seymour Hoffman bit, because I really... I didn't like that in the original Manhunt, you know, the the idea of the... Of like, well, let's be honest, it's like the the ultimate reporter, like trying to uncover everything. I always just thought that was a bit of a letdown. The, I, the, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is in there just purely for what happens to yeah. him. Because again, it goes down that nature of Jack Crawford putting people in, in harm's way to catch a killer. And that backfires royally because the plan was originally for the killer to come after Will Graham. He doesn't. He goes after the guy who printed. The printed yeah. And I, I, again, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman in this is as the late great man, you know, is, is phenomenal. He's, I, I loved it. That must be every A-list celebrity's favourite role to play is the shitty uh, tabloid report. Because like, I'm going to dial this fucker up to 10. He's like, talking about Hugh Grant right now. Aren't yeah, just, just <laughs> loving uh, playing the sleazy, horrible, paparazzi person who will take photos of someone when they're in a hospital with wires and tubes coming out of them. I, the two favorite characters are really good. Like I said, I, I think I, I like my thrillers and horrors where you don't really see the villain until towards the end of the movie. But if you've got Ray Fiennes in your movie, you're going to use him as much yeah. as you can. And again, it's never our role or, or a critic's role or film enthusiast role to to say what you should or shouldn't do in a movie. It's not our place to say. But on personal preference, that's probably what I, I would have only wanted to see him in the third act. I think he's scarier not knowing who it is. Yes, that's true. But do you know what was really weird? And I know we're not going to talk about it, but Manhunt, I, the gentleman who played the Two-Fairy was the guy who played... Uh, last Action Hero. The villain in Last Action Hero. And he did a very good job of being more sympathetic. Like, 
you know when you know the love story makes more sense when the guy's not the great looking with the blind girl as opposed to Ralph Fiennes because it's like mate Ralph you, you may you might be psycho but you've got you'll have women yeah. <laughs> it's not as bad as you think it is um, tell you what though I you know the ending mm. I did think it could have been more tense you know I don't like the reveal of Hannah Blechter as being. I mean, are we spoiling this? I guess we are, aren't we? We're talking about it. I think we're allowed to. Hannah Blechter being the mastermind behind it, like sending him the address, I actually really don't like. I'm it's just like Ugh. Tom Noonan played, Tom uh, Noonan. yeah, Francis Dollard in the original Manhunter. But I really don't like the reveal that that he's been not. I like the idea of fan mail because that's kind of cool, and I like them sending messages to each other. But I do not like him then sending the like the address and the the big end scene is they should have been separate identities and it really because I kind of like maybe I was wrong but I would have thought Hannibal was more respectful he would have he would have respected the guy that caught him because they were friends at one point it was like do you know what you got me I don't think he'd send like no, in his I, opinion a second rate killer after no because in Hannibal's mind he, he the only way to win now is to take out Will Graham nah, because disagree. you've got that whole um, as he said you you think you're smarter than me because you caught me so Lexus on the back foot and we know uh, you know the oh, best way to describe yeah. it intellectually vain he's got to have the the upper hand on it um, I quite like that and, I'll, and to be fair as well it happens in the middle of the movie I, that's the bigger reveal isn't it halfway through the film um, and it's only at the end when the two fairy goes to his house because they thought they killed him but he was actually another body in the burn, burning house I, I really like that bit when Crawford rings up with him in the night it's like we, we've figured out the code you know, you get the bastard gave him your home address, and like he's just off. He's like helicopters, fucking trying to save his family. I, I, I like, like I say, I like the pacing of the whole film. I also like it because it is in the center of this one more so than the other two. A, a really good detective story, old fashioned police work. Well, how they capture him, how they get onto the two fairies' identity from the videotapes, and realizing that. And Lecter says to him, "It's you've looked, but you haven't seen it." And that clue, and he's like, fucking what? And then when he rewatches the video, he's like, he knew everything. He saw everything that was on these tapes, and then it clicks in his head. There are a lot of scenes of POV shots of uh, Edward Norton reacting to figuring shit out. Like, he's like, just, oh my God. And then the music changes. There is a lot of that kind of stuff. But I like in, in there is old fashioned policing. In Sansa Lambs, she stumbles on um, Buffalo Bill's address she's going in talking about the neighbourhood it's only when she sees them off in his house that she figures she's, she's at Killer's house this one they caught him yeah I actually quite like Red Dragon I think Red Dragon in there is a really good movie uh, I don't like aspects of it that's just me mate yeah there are aspects film, to it film's subjective <laughs> film is subjective as film Twitter <laughs> teaches us every week uh, there is also that uh, you know the, them scenes like um, Philip Seymour Hoffman on fire in the wheelchair kind of going down broad daylight in the street there are bits and pieces like that. And, and also, you know, that are iconic that you're like, it's horrible. It's horrible. You know, that things like that happening in daylight. Um, I think also there, there are, the, the two theory as a character is incredibly flawed as well. He's nowhere near as sophisticated. And this is what I really like. If they had an equally sophisticated and intelligent killer, you'd be like, what is everyone in this world? Like, okay, now they are all masterminds. That's true. He leaves loads of clues of, of his identity. And by the end of it, he's practically given himself up when he assaults two women and eats the William Blake painting. 
um, you know, in the in the. No, that was subtle. That was. Yeah, <laughs> so that, it was like, it's like no one will get this. That is like, and then the next scene is like, oh my god, Will Graham's at my place of work. How the hell does he come on? How's he found me? <laughs> what, what what I love about all of that though is there's certain things like we've watched films recently where the police have been crap. It's lucky that the police in this is spot on because otherwise it's just like he's just eating the blade. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> there are scenes, you know, when he goes to the newspaper stand at like four in the morning and he like shows a knife to the guy. You're going to be remembered. They're going to remember you. It's it's almost as if you've got a physical, you know anomaly about you that people will make you easy to spot in a crowd that's it <laughs> yeah I, I i really liked uh quite a lot of red dragon and it's if you haven't seen it in a while so this every week go back and rewatch it it's it's a two-hour movie that's got enough dark in it it's got some corny but it is i think it's still good no it's good I, we agree on that but for different reasons weirdly if you held us together we'd, it'd be a great film mm. like the next movie which is uh Science of the Lambs. So Over yeah, my it. my top ten, my top ten movie, uh, terrified me from start to finish. First time I watched it in IMDb's top twenty one list is a five time Oscar winner, including the Big Five, James. Uh, best picture, best director, adapted screenplay, and two lead acting Oscars. Yeah, yeah, which is very rare that a movie gets them five. Um, it's one of three. One of them was. Uh, oh fuck! I did this the other day. I put this on Twitter. It one was. Um, yeah, it was I was trying to remember this the other day as well. It doesn't matter. Sorry, mate. Because someone said to me it was uh, the Return of the King. I was like, no, because that didn't win. Uh, it's not Return of the King. I was going to say it didn't win two leading actors. Is it Wizard of Oz or Gone with the Wind? I, I think Gone one with the Wind might have been one. It doesn't matter. Sorry, mate. I, I hate to have done that to you. I apologize. Right. I'll remember it in a bit. Uh, directed by the late uh, Jonathan Demi, released in 1991, an introduction for so many who haven't seen uh, Manhunter to the serial killer madman himself, uh, Hannibal Lecter. Uh, as well as Buffalo Bill, a man who is skinning his victims. A young cadet is sent to receive help from the incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer himself. We've started talking about this one already. This movie is so brilliant. It's paced well. It's, again, it's two hours, but it doesn't feel like two hours. It's 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 got enough screen time for everyone. Like Hannibal Lecter is only on screen, as we talked about, 16 minutes. Buffalo Bill's character in this is, is it Ted Levine who plays him? It is Ted Levine, yeah. It's so, famous for being Captain Sotomayor in Monk. Is that what you're going to go with? Mate, More yeah. More famous than sticking his dick between his legs? Captain Stottmeyer from the hit TV series with Tony Shalhoub. Monk. Does he do that in that film? Is he making a skin suit in that film? No, because he's a captain of the police department, mate. He, he's there to help Monk on his journey to he's the captain. overcome his OCD. Do you know what? You're not going to win this argument, mate. Move on. He's the captain of the police department in the Alienist TV show as well. He's got a very... Bushy mustache. Oh, do you know what? That just reminded me. He was in the hit TV series Monk with Tony Shalhoub. He, he played Captain the, Stormer. He was in the remake of um, Hills of Eyes. Was he? Yeah. That must be his second famous role after when he played Captain Stormer. He puts Stormer. his piece between his legs, James, and he applies the cream and the lotion. Or he gets the hose again. Good thing he's got a well in his basement. <laughs> it's a really shitty looking well as well, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, Buffalo Bill. So he's the new villain, the new bad guy, <laughs> the new capoose, mate. Mm. He's here. He's skinning people. People don't like him. What's going on here? Why do they, you know, he starves his victims before he kills them. What's going on? What does it all mean? He wants to make a skin suit, James, he because he's, suit. he's been struck off the gender realignment surgery uh, list. That's what, that's what, that's what's a bit weird, isn't it? And also, I never really understood how Hannah Blackton manipulates his way out of I know he lies, doesn't he? He essentially lies to children who, who says this, but if you can look past that side, I don't really understand it. I have no one fact checks in this world. You've got, you've got a quiet thriller. So it's paced beautifully, but 
it's not out and out action. It's it's dark scenes, and you've got standout performances. You've got one of the best scenes in the entire film industry, and it was called the escape scene. Mm. Um, you're utterly charmed when you meet the cannibal. The score. I remember the music best, especially seeing when the other police arrive in what we will call the escape scene, and you see basically what has happened. You haven't seen all of it, but you come to the aftermath. And you were talking about Seven. It's always the aftermath that causes you most. The scene that's blaring, it's a far-out shot, and the music is just blaring, uh, the score is blaring in your face. You've really got a friendship. The respect between the mentor and the... Um, it's almost love. It is almost There's a love. moment where their fingers just touch, and it's like, okay, what's going on there? This is the film that led to a history of bad impressions, right for parody, changed the role of, uh, changed the role, different roles. Everything is different. What I mean by that is turned on its head. The villain is someone who's uh, a doctor who spent their life trying to get to the moral good of people who then turned around eating people. But who's the real villain? Or is it the man who tries to use that? You know, he made the Hippocratic Oath, but in reality he's turning Hannibal Lecter into his own, um, he wants to get famous off him, trying to unlock him. The hero is the rookie. The people that are wrong are the Crawford. The, the, what, we, what you could say is possibly the hero of the previous story. You know, the, he's the mastermind behind Catherine. Now he's the villain. It's the rookie that goes against the, um, the tone. It's got a perfect tone. And what I mean by that is it made horror mainstream and it turned what could possibly be hammy acting into eerie acting. And all it took was a subtle change. Like, stick Anthony Hopkins in a clown suit, his acting's hammy. Use him perfectly in the right lighting, eerie. It, it kind mm. of perfected all the small things which allowed the big things to just shine. I think just saying there about it, it made horror into the mainstream, I think that before anyone spits their tea out of that, you got to remember horror <clears throat> doesn't get represented well, at the awards. Oscar. Yeah, That's it, it doesn't, it never gets picked up at the award season. Yes, I'm looking at you, Hereditary. Um, but it, this movie kind of swept it. So I think, I think you're right. I do think it, it, it was a gateway movie for horrors into mainstream films. There, there's so much about this. The, the iconic scenes of him in the straight jacket on the trolley with the face mask, just looking like if you were just too close to him, he'd fucking nibble an ear off. Nib. Oh, terrifying. Um, yes. Do you know that bit in it when he sends Crawford on the uh, Chilton on the goose chase? Yeah. Can you remember that in the book? What that is? I, no. So he says that Buffalo Bill's real identity, what his real name is, Billy Rubin. Yeah, and then Chilton's like, "I've got it. I've cracked the case." And was, and in the book, it reveals that Billy Rubin is as a name, but as a um, as a compound, Billy Rubin. Oh, it's false gold. No, it, oh. Billy Rubin is the um, is the compound that turns feces brown. Oh. And in the book, it's no, it said it, there's the line in it that Chilton is shit for brains. And he doesn't pick up on it. And in the film, they don't use that. They do... Fool's gold, don't they? Fool's gold, yes. They say it's something friend, isn't it? Uh, Louis Friend, which then is an anagram of iron sulfide, which is fool's gold, i.e. red herring. I think that's fucking brilliant. That's so funny. <laughs> which reckon- is why I said at the top, a bit sassy. Do you, do you reckon he's just like... <laughs> he's have time to think of this. <laughs> he's, he's, he writes it down. He's like, it's going to be fucking I'll, epic. I'll tell, tell him it's Billy Rubin, so he says. <laughs> fucking idiot. Like, I'm going to post this on Insta, really. And I'm going to be like, lol, epic prank. <laughs> Ruffle. Uh, Sansa Lambs. Right up to the end scene as well. I love this. There's a there's a part where Jodie Foster's in the dark. She's made this literally the point I'm about to say, and she is terrified. You know, you like that acting is phenomenal. That she's outnumbered. You know, she's out of her comfort zone, 
And then he just cocks his gun, gives his place away, and Jodie Foster just unleashes fucking hell on him. I really like Buffalo Bill as well, night vision goggles, just kind of like looking at it going, like, might well, at no point, but he should say, oogity boogity. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just tickle it. Just tickle it. But you've got, uh, you wow, what a scene. Um, he's losing it. And I, his method as well, that's brutal. You're like, why does he starve him? Because he needs the skin to be saggy before he cuts the No, he needs it to be taut. I was, I was, I was, it was better, yeah. Um, and then he's, uh, and then he's, he says all those things. It's like, uh, you know, he loves his dog, mm. he puts it in the basket. And I really like, and some of the performances, and I've got to say that uh, Brooke Smith as Catherine Martin, who is the, who is the victim, she's brilliant when she kidnaps the dog. And the, the way he loses his shit, mm. I thought she did a really good job. And she's got what I would call a fantastic scream. So when she wakes up in the well, she looks at the walls and she's thinking about climbing out. She sees like the claw marks and the, and the nails that are like embedded in the wall. And I just thought her scream was fucking brilliant. And that is more terrifying than if she woke up and saw a skull in the bottom yeah. there. You know what I mean? It's just so much more terrifying the way it's done. Uh, uh, Jodie Foster, oh, sorry. No, Sansa Lambs as well. And, and they know that, you know, as we already talked about, about, you know, Jodie Foster's backstory line and that this is her arc is that she thinks if she solves this case, if she saves this girl you know, the screaming in her head will stop. And at the end of the movie, Lecter says to her, has it stopped? In the book, she obviously confirms that it does. Um, but yeah, it's got so many layers to this movie. Buffalo Bill's character, that we've already talked about, and I hope I use the terminology correctly. If not, I do apologise. Um, but yeah, and then, and then Hannibal's storyline as well, the whole breakout scene, wearing another man's face to get out. You, you can't deny... Genius, James. You, you can't even even when it involves taking someone else's face. That entire scene is fucking scary. It it starts with it starts with them giving him dinner, and ends with one of them being crucified and one of them not having a face. <laughs> That's pretty badass. Yeah, Le- Lecter's been he's got gains, man. He's he got gains. He's a strong man. And then when he breaks out in the ambulance as well, he fucking he kills a bunch. He's he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. There is a He's brutal with the old nightstick. Yeah, he is. Yeah, the, I'd like to point out that's. I believe it was the first time I ever saw it. I always used to think the police nightstick, <laughs> stupid. Whereas a uh, baton. Whereas now, when I've looked at him, like well, you That'll could Hannibal Lecter someone with that. Yeah, <laughs> the, the uh, Hannibal Lecter stick, it should be called. <laughs> And yeah, and also scenes, you know, when he's wearing the white t-shirt, the white trousers, pulled up a little bit too high as well, which I quite like. I quite like that because it makes him less scary, but at the same time, scary. Yeah. Um, but when he's just like covered in the blood and all that, it's fucking terrifying, that movie. Um, oh, what's the point? I was going to say the moths, the, or the death moths in the in the victim's throats, all them little calling cards. I really like as well, um, Jodie Foster. Queen of the Nerds, when she mm. goes to see them. I, I, and I really liked their kind of like the playful nerdish band because they were real. Mm. And they weren't like just like some super nerds, like all oh, Google it. It's like people who had like a real passion for for, for moths and for, I can't remember the study of insects, I can't remember what it's called. And I think as well, uh, detective working here is, 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 it's not as good as Red Dragon. I think that's a really good detective movie. But um, the, the reveal that he's making a skin <sighs> suit and then you see it very briefly. When, I, when they, I've never seen it. Oh, it's in the diary. Is it in the diary? Cool. No, I've, I've, people have told me, but I've, I don't kind of want to see it. I'm happy living in ignorance, so I don't look for it because it's yeah. not a forefront, is it? It's in the background or something. It's, she sees it when she's yeah, she's in the basement. Yeah. And it just quickly. How does flashes that not fucking it. stink? <laughs> oh yeah, I can't imagine dead skin smells that nice. Yeah, I mean, she just turns up. She's like, fucking, a load of air fresheners in here. <laughs> What's going on here? Just bills out back mowing the lawn in, in a woman's suit. It's like, oh, um, you called me at a bad time. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what a great film! What an absolutely cracking film with um, 
with very little negatives. Mm. And I really like that. Jodie Foster, let's be honest, Jodie Foster is a tour de force. And it's very rare that you actually see a performance that's worth the hype. You know, there are very few. It's like Brando in, in Godfather 1. When someone talks to you about how great a performance is and then you finally see it, when someone's big deal up so much, it's very rare that the expectation meets the reality. But wow, Clarice Sterling was everything that people talk about. What a great acting, what a great character and what great acting. What do you think of Hannibal? I hate Hannibal, I'm sorry. Mate. Yeah, I think he's crap. I, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's crap. Every the, the, Even the bit with the with the Florence cop who's like blackmailing him, which apparently goes nowhere to the, you know, the Gary Oldman. He, he's one of those things where people tell you it's Gary Oldman. You go, oh, is it? Does it matter? The bit with the pigs, the ending, the beginning. I, no, I don't like him. I'm sorry. I, I, Red Dragon gets past quite I like Red Dragon. I love Silence of the Lambs. No, Hannibal's bollocks. I quite like Hannibal. Hannibal got a soft spot. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it tells the story, doesn't it? Obviously, of, of Clarice, she's fall from fame. She's now almost. She's not a victim, but she's definitely being preyed upon by Ray Liotta's character, who's trying to, after being rejected, is trying to sabotage her career. Hannibal then reaches out and it sets off this chain of events. In there, there is the storyline of the corrupt Italian police. It was also influenced as well by the Florence Killer, so that's why it's set where it is. It's got that, you, you know. Uh, stupid cop in it who needs who should just turn him in but instead just <laughs> sees the reward that the yeah. jaded lover slash victim um of uh, I just talked about Gary Oldman has put this price this ransom on on his head you got this whole feed him to the pigs kind of storyline that's going on in the background then, then fucking you, you what happened to you is your own fault <laughs> I have no respect for you Gary Oldman because if you just shot him in the head it would have been over Oh, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, Gary Oldman could be in love, James. It's not his fault that he got drugged and he got his face eaten. <sighs> oh, no, he, tell, he convinced him to cut his own face off, didn't he? Yeah, because he was thing. under the... Oh, my God, it's bollocks. <laughs> but then what, the only bit where it kind of falls down for me is that they catch him... Well, they know where he is. They narrow it down because of the hand cream, which one could say Lecter put on, you know, specifically because he wants the chase. He wants the cat and mouse. Uh, which is the reoccurring thing with him as a character. But at the same time, it is also a, a massive fucking Gamble. red flag, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, well, you know, I mean, if, if they get it, it's going to lead them right to me, and it fucking does. Um, if you've wanted that bad, like phone them. <laughs> just, just I am not them. in Florence. Tags himself in at a museum. <laughs> yeah, on Facebook, not in Florence. <laughs> I, there, there is a part of me that likes it. There, there, is, there are them scenes where they're, they're zeroing in on him and trying to capture him and he's just evading him and there's the whole merry-go-round scene. Where I he hate just, that I, I quite enjoyed it. I went to cinema and I must admit, I wasn't as blown away. And it certainly isn't, I mean, it isn't the calibre of the other two movies. It's not as scary and it's certainly not, it doesn't have what? the layers that the other two have. What about the merry-go-round scene is if she moves a fraction just before he touches it and he, and he touches it, he actually touches it as opposed to her air. She just turns around and sees him get films over. It's like, why'd you touch me? Oh, it's you. It's a tease, mate. Come here. It's a tease. I just It does no. boil down to the end scene, you know, and it and it gets there and gives us plenty of time for that scene. And the most interesting part of any serial killer movie, we talked about this with Seven a few weeks back, is a scene where you get the good guy, the protagonist, squaring off against the villain. Why do you do what you do? Because an audience member, that is the most interesting bit because we don't think that way. Hopefully we don't act that way what drives a person to do the unthinkable and this, all three of the movies to be fair are 
or engineered to give you that. In the first two, it's because Lecter is within a cell, so they interview him. In the third one, it's boiling up to the dinner scene where, where you know, they're serving up Ray's head. I mean... And brain. Oh, it's so crap. It's, it's when he takes his cap off. That's the bit where I was like, oh... Korean army though is a is an actual thing. You can do that. Yes, I know, but but it's the fact that it's like his serving his serving plate is a baseball cap. <laughs> he just takes off on his. He's, I do not like it. I just think it's it's it panders it to an audience, doesn't it? Of saying, look, you want a cannibal movie, you want a vi- you want the villain doing villainous things. We'll give you it. I I don't think it's the best writing. I don't think it's the best uh, screenplay. I don't think it's the best movie. Do you want it? Yeah, I did want it though. I did want to see them two characters. I would have loved to see Jodie Foster reprise the role. Maybe it's because it's not Jodie Foster, but then again, it's the character itself I'm not that interested in. Clarice was perfect as the lamb, you know, the innocent, drip, drip, dipped into the world of like manipulation and like profiling. This, she's just like a jaded cop. Uh, Not for me. No, I I didn't like it. I thought the character was uninteresting. Which she is, can't stay. She can't after the after the atrocities, James, of, of um, you know what happened with Buffalo Bill. She's not going to stay innocent forever, is she? No, I know. But but then make the story more interesting. Make it better. Mm. Can we put Science of Lambs in the vault? I think it maybe already is. Isn't I it? think it, do you know what? Even if it's not, maybe it's re, re, worthy of a re-entry because it is a very good film. Put it, it in there it, twice. Put it in there twice. But if it's not, it's in there. If if it's already in there, then it's, it's worth mentioning. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to waste any time on Hannibal Rising. I, I, it was a it was a weak instalment. It was bloody and gory and stupid and and just didn't really make any sense. Didn't add anything. I don't think even Harris wanted to write the book he's based on, did he? Or I, did he write the screenplay for this? I do vaguely remember saying I, I can't say no to the money, but I don't want to write this story. I mm. vaguely remember that happening. It's it's but I don't care. It's scarier if it's a guy, you know, in the upper class of society that decides to eat people. I think that's cool. Because in a way, it's kind of the most, you know, Hannibal Lecter's sophisticated. You know, he loves fine wine. He loves music. He loves art. He loves, you know, when he's in Florence. And to be fair, I do like this about uh, Hannibal. He's enjoying the sights of Florence because it's such a beautiful city laden in history and like uh, the Renaissance art. He's in his element. He's having fun. I do not give a toss about this kid. In a way, you could almost argue that the way he, the reason he eats people is because it's a it's a it's like a finer dining experience. Like he don't just like get a kidney shoving a burger, mate. He prepares. You know, he gets special recipes. You remember, he has people round and he, he cooks moose bouche, mate. Moose bouche. So he's on. He has fun with. He's not of, making like, a spag bowl, is it? <laughs> no, no spag bowl with eyeballs, mate. It's, and that's what I really like about him. And then giving him a story where he's like, oh, he eats people because it's kind of revenge because because of his sister she got in, or oh, mm. I can't even remember it. Bullshit. I'm really unhappy about that. Let let my predator be a different kind of predator, like a high class one. I don't want to. I don't want the same generic reason for everything else. And it, 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 I think it's poor iron. Do you think you could eat someone? No. Not even if you got paid like a million, and no one would what, know. What am I eating? All of it, or just a no, no, one? like a like I don't know, a steak sized bit of calf. But you know, it comes from a person. Do I like this person? You don't know him. Do I have a medical history? <laughs> Yeah, they're fine. Died of natural causes. A million pound. Uh, that's maybe too generous. 20 grand. No. You wouldn't eat a car for 20 grand? No. 40? I think my limit would be 80. That's your price? That's my price. 80 grand, you'll eat a and steak-sized I'd, car. I'd, I'd, prefer, I'd prefer if I had a choice of court buttock. More The sizzle. glute. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go for the glute. I've thought about it. <laughs> See, I'd probably go for a bit of quad, I think. Yeah. That's a bit tough, though, isn't it? It depends. It'd be a bit tough. Mm. How would you have it? It depends on the quad, mate. It depends if you've been doing squats, doesn't it? 
Well, that's true. Mm. What'd you have with it? What, what, what Chips. Bit mayo. I was going to say baked potato. <laughs> that being said, I'm a vegetarian, so it doesn't really matter either way. Um, if you were in a fight yeah. and you your last resort is you had to bite someone yeah. and you, you took a chunk out and you accidentally swallowed it, yeah. does that make you a cannibal? No, it makes you unlucky. No, but you technically ate him. Yeah, but isn't cannibal like you thirst for it? It's accidental. Like if I, like for example, if I made you dinner and slipped a tiny bit of meat into it, it doesn't make you not a vegetarian anymore. It means that you you didn't you didn't really you weren't expecting it. Yeah, but if I killed someone in self defense, it was self defense, but I still killed him. I still. If it's not murder, there's a different term. It's manslaughter, isn't it? So no, I think this, I don't think you're a cannibal. I think if it happens twice, though, you do lose you do lose the. Um, the reason of it was an accident. If, it's, if, they, if there's two and you're like, well, you also bit this person, you'd be like, are you a cannibal? You'd be like, no. <laughs> it's like, you. Well, that's a relief then. <laughs> also, how many toenails did you need to eat before you're a cannibal? No, I'm joking. <laughs> 16 pound, isn't it? <laughs> um, what do you do with the toenails? Do you just like get rid of them? Yeah. How do you, right, so if you've got, how do you cook a body? Do you is boil it, mash it, stick it in a stew? <laughs> what do you, like potatoes? No, hold on. You're going from toenails to... Then we're just thinking in general, what's the best way to... Do you just cook it? Do you grill it? Is it just like oh, me? human? Yeah. Mm. Is there... Uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to be like salmon where you could probably get away with it raw. My my favourite thing about, if we talk about cannibals in films, is when they always put them in a giant cauldron and just leave them there like, that'll do. Yeah, that's the that's the, that's the the thing, isn't it? It's like, when you think of cannibals, you imagine someone like on a spit, yeah. just slowly, like a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> and when you actually hear about it, it's like, no, just remove the guy's like kidney and, and put it with like, yeah, like you say, some tatties <laughs> and just fried it up. Fucking mac and cheese. Mate. <laughs> Part of shepherd's pie, just it's in there. You know, so yeah, it's always like, your liver, isn't it? And yeah. stuff like that you put in a pie. It's never it's never what it is in cartoons, which is just a full body in a sandwich. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, never, it's not like eyes where you see like a whole hand coming out of the pie. Yeah. It's like, no, it's just a bit of meat in there. Um, When we did the Joker episode, I think it was, I brought up some cannibal jokes to see if I could make you laugh and you didn't laugh once. So I've got five more. Okay. So if you laugh at any one of these, I'm going to think of a forfeit. You ready? What's a cannibal's favourite restaurant? I don't know. What is a cannibal's favourite restaurant? Five Guys. That was good. That was very good. I enjoyed that one. What's the definition of a cannibal? What is the definition of a cannibal? Someone fed up with people. <laughs> I'll be honest, that was a good one. That was getting a, close, getting close. That's a good one. <laughs> 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 Just thought about it, mate. More, you got me. Well done. What do you get if you're a cannibal on a one-night stand? No, don't know. Breakfast in bed. <laughs> well, you definitely made me laugh on that one. What does a cannibal use to freshen his breath? Oh, no. What is it? Mentos. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, God. I know I know. it's a joke about cannibalism, but, but good, 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 good. That was very good. I invited a uh, cannibal over for dinner the other night and she was late. Oh, yeah. I gave her the cold shoulder. <laughs> the classic, the classic is two cannibals eating a clown, and one says, turns to the other and says, "Does this taste funny to you?" And then it's funnier if, like, later on, you then go, uh, two clowns are eating a cannibal," and one turns around and says, "Does this joke sound off to you?" <laughs> um, I should have done these at the top. A couple of cannibal facts, because you know why not? You've tuned in. 
most cultures and societies are actually regard cannibalism as a taboo subject, really? uh, including in the animal kingdom. Really? Very rare that actually other animals will kill. There are some species that will eat their own, but as we already talked about, mad cows, the prawns that are in the brain, we're, we're, we're conditioned not to eat each other, James. Does that mean that's a scientific reason not to go to mass because the Catholics believe that the embodiment of the bread is the reingestion of the body of Christ? Oh my God, was that too eyebrow for this podcast? We went there, didn't you? <laughs> Sorry. I'm certainly not going to Papua New Guinea. I've said this before, like, you know, like... You say every episode. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, like how people think, like, the second they land in London, they're going to see, like, red boxes, red yes. telephone buses. And, and like, I, seriously, I'm like, if if, if you, you go, if, like, one metre into the jungle in Papua New Guinea, you're going to get eaten by a tribe. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Just like, it's just like they'll wait for you with, like, knives and forks. Yeah. <laughs> Anywhere else in the world, I'm all about, like, getting off the beaten track and just, you know... I, I that's a, I like the adventure. I like the kind of the the unseen part of travel. Papua New Guinea, I'd no. be like fuck no. Right, I'm staying I'm... on the plane <laughs> until we leave. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not even getting off. Uh, you know, yeah, Papua New Guinea, not a chance. I'd go there, Ma. Yeah, um, yeah. Most animals are hardwired not to be cannibals. 16 to 1800s in Europe, body parts were actually sold as medicine, James. Oh yeah, quite high oh. cannibal uh, community. Nine fifth, uh, so 1553. The term cannibal was first uh, used, but it was actually a mispronunciation. It was meant to be Carabis, named after the tribe in uh, Brazil. Oh. Did you so, just Google, like, did you just Google cannibalistic facts? I definitely didn't use my work computer for all this. Because I'm just, I'm just saying, because your algorithm is fucked now. I know, you wait till what Amazon tries to sell me later. <laughs> Uh, like a leg. <laughs> as we've already said at the top, eating someone is not against the law, but murder and desecration of a corpse is. So technically, if I died and cut off my own leg and like mm. filleted my calf and yeah. gave it to you, you'd break no laws eating it. Well, technically, what I was thinking is if you died in a fire and you cooked yourself, I would be Even within better. my legal element to eat you. There's no law against me because I haven't desecrated your corpse because yeah. you've cooked yourself and I've just come along and eaten you. Like if I fell off my bike and like a big chunk of my buttock fell off yeah. and I just gave it to you for your birthday. Why the fuck would your buttock fall off? I don't know. <laughs> what? I haven't rode a bike in years. That'd be so weird going, going to A&E. This, this, this has just come off. Yeah. It's like, well, you better give it to a cannibal friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to throw it in the bin. No, don't. Don't waste it. I've got a mate who will have that. You've got, yeah, you're right. You've got garlic butter. If you gave that to me for my birthday, because it's fallen off and you're not dead, it's not a desecration But even if I did die, I, you didn't kill me, so you could still eat my butter. But I eat believe, my ass, James. But I believe I can't eat your ass because there'd be no legal evidence that I didn't remove it and that would be desecration of course. What about if I left... In the will? In the in like my, yeah. I believe that would be fine. I, then I could eat your ass. <laughs> of free and, and sane mind, I've cut off my bum <laughs> to give it to James. Um, most convicted cannibals uh, suffer from schizophrenia. So again, when it talks about profiling and interviewing, um, there's a high number of cannibals are schizophrenic and a lot of them have um, separation anxiety from motherly figures. Uh, and my favorite one, which I think I've said before in this podcast, there's the case of uh, Muse in Germany, who was a man who wanted to eat another man who put out an ad saying, looking for an 18 to 30-year-old to be slaughtered and consumed. He had 400 people reply to that ad, and one actually did die, and that guy's still serving time now. Who answers that ad? Who Right, so so the opposite to you. Who wants to be a poo? It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it should have been that line. I'll tell you who wants to be. be. Patrick Stewart in the Emoji movie. <laughs> Sir. So, so Patrick Stewart, the only time he's ever used his knighthood was in the Emoji movie. That's true. 
Oh. Uh, that's a whistle stop tour of the Cannibal Hannibal movies. That's a bit on the nose, isn't it? Yeah. Cannibal yeah. Hannibal. Yeah. Um, at least never going to forget it. No, and and do you know what? Like the Star Trek movies last week, I, I'm done now with them. Yeah, I'll watch these again in a couple of years, but I'm kind of glad that tonight or tomorrow when I put on a movie, it's not going to be about eating people. Oh, cool. I quite need something to cleanse the palate, a sorbet, if you will. What Ooh. do you recommend for next week? Well, we was talking about Men in Black trilogy. <sighs> trilogy, because we're not doing the fourth we're one. We're not doing the fourth one. I mean, it's something that we could do, or there's that breakfast idea that you had a while ago. I mean, if you want to stay on the topic of eating people. Oh, we could do that, couldn't we? We could. Well, it wasn't just breakfast. It was. It was. It was, it was a, a film. Day. It was a film for food, and uh, I don't really know how to explain it. Do you want to do? I'll do that. I've still Something got like one from that list. Something like that. Then. Um, also, I should have really done this at the top of the episode. Uh, big thank you to Amanda. It is Amanda who does some cracking artwork. Been doing some artwork for us. Uh, now I was thinking about this earlier. Now I imagine that artwork takes some time to do. Yeah. Probably takes longer than an hour thirty-one, which is what we've recorded. Yep. So technically, she's the hardest working one in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, without a shadow of a doubt, she's more hard working. She's than the I most am. talented, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, massive thank you, Amanda, for for the artwork that you that you submitted. We and we are using. They are amazing. So, thank you. I gen- that last one, on Star Trek, is is kind of like a boy a picture. I've always wanted to be in a Star Trek photo, and I, I know it's the drawing, but fuck it, I'm counting it. Bucket yeah. list, <laughs> tick. That's awesome. So, uh, d- episodes dedicated to to you. So, thank you. Uh, other than that, if I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night, goodbye. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.